Hi there, it's Matt here and welcome back to the podcast and part three in this ultimately four-part series all about exercise and sleep. In the first two episodes, I told you about if and how exercise beneficially improves sleep and does so at different stages across our lives. But what we've not yet explored is the following. How does the type of exercise, the intensity of that exercise, and the duration of that exercise impact the benefits of sleep that you get? And I think it's important that we cover these because, for example, my exercise regimen is probably different to yours, both in terms of how long I exercise, I suspect, <laughs> suspect some of you ultra training folks exercise far longer than I do, although I'm an exercise freak and I exercise every day, but also how vigorously you exercise in terms of the intensity. Also, my preferred forms of exercise, meaning the type of exercise, which for me, God, why do I always bring this back to me? I don't know if it helps, but um, which for me is cycling and lifting weights. But that may not be your cup of tea. You may be doing something different. How do these three different things, the duration, the intensity, and the type of exercise, change the exercise sleep equation? Let's begin with intensity. In the last episode, I described a nicely controlled study of middle-aged adults. And in that study, after a baseline night of sleep assessment, the individuals were split into an active group who exercised and a control group who didn't exercise. And you'll remember that the exercise group showed some really nice sleep benefits relative to the no exercise group. It turns out, however, there was an added subtlety within the exercise group because it contained three different subgroups. There was a moderate intensity aerobic exercise group. There was a high intensity aerobic exercise group. And then there was a moderate to intense weight training group or resistance training which, depending on, of course, how you do it, is going to be a mix of both anaerobic or aerobic exercise. And it was a clever experimental choice based on what they found when they conducted the subgroup analysis. Overall, it was the first two groups who were performing aerobic exercise versus the weight training group who carried more of the beneficial sleep effect. In other words, it was those first two groups who were performing aerobic exercise who carried more of the sleep vote on the subsequent sleep election night. And when you combine both of those subgroups together, the first subgroup and the second, both doing aerobic exercise, on average, they fell asleep 38% faster than was normal for them. But don't get dismayed if you are also not just a cardio exercise nut but also a weightlifting nut like me the group performing resistance exercise or weight training they did get some benefits it was just somewhat less overall they fell asleep 22 percent faster than was typical 
But keep in mind, both of these are great and they are far better relative to the control condition where you weren't getting those benefits. But then came somewhat of a surprising result. You may have expected that if we go back to those two aerobic exercising groups, the one that did moderate aerobic exercise and the one that did high-intensity aerobic exercise, that the high-intensity group would get an even greater sleep benefit relative to the moderate aerobic intensity group. Well, at least in this data set, not so. The greatest sleep improvement occurred for those in the first group that was performing moderate intensity aerobic exercise. They went into the good night, as it were, that following evening 47% faster than was normal, whilst those in the high intensity aerobic group, they were much more similar to the weight training group. They fell asleep 28% faster. And remember, the weight training group fell asleep 22% faster. So the fact that moderate intensity exercise seems to be somewhat more, and again, I'm just sort of emphasizing somewhat because all of these are great benefits, somewhat more beneficial, at least when it comes to falling asleep, I think is a great advertisement for what we call zone two cardio, which my, <laughs> which my good friend Peter Atia will be uh, happy to hear. And I also think these findings have some added credibility since they nicely replicate findings that we discussed in one of the earlier episodes from the National Sleep Foundation survey. And there I told you of this almost reverse J-shaped relationship between exercise intensity and sleep quality, such that for exercise intensity, based on the data that we have right now at least, there is almost a Goldilocks syndrome, as it were. Not too much intensity, not too little intensity, but just enough. A sponsor of today's show is Inside Tracker. Now, Inside Tracker is a service, and they come to your home, as they do for me, and they will analyze your blood and your DNA to know precisely what is happening inside of you regarding a host of different blood and metabolic and hormonal health metrics. What I also like is that in addition to the results, they then provide you with a personalized set of recommended, I guess, sort of lifestyle changes and suggestions to better optimize your health as a consequence of what those results were for you, that unique snowflake. So you can use the link insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker, and you will get a healthy discount from your purchase. So again, that is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. Once again, though, and we've spoken lots about the benefits of exercise, and there are other sleep stages that benefit equally when you come to moderate versus intense aerobic exercise. So if intense aerobic exercise is your thing, please keep doing it. Don't stress too much about those differences. So that's intensity. Now let's shift our focus to how different types of specific exercise relate to different sleep benefits. 
And <laughs> depending on your preferred exercise dish, you are either going to enjoy what I tell you or maybe just be a little bit less happy. Because across all of the studies that we have now on exercise and sleep, when we gather them all together and look at the big picture, what we found is that cycling produces the most robust improvements in deep non-REM sleep, at least, relative to running. Now, again, don't be worried. For running, you still see deep sleep improvements heading in the same positive direction. It's just that overall across all of those studies, they don't reach the level of being statistically significant. I know, I know, but runners hold off on wishing to gouge out my organs with some kind of medieval tool because most other sleep metrics that we typically measure, such as total sleep time, sleep efficiency, and your subjective sense of the quality of your own sleep, they all benefit from cycling and running with equally large effect. Is that salvation enough for me to retain my liver and kidneys at least? I promise you it's better for your karma if you leave my organs in situ. God, it's still about me. Speaking of karma, the past 20 years has seen a steady increase in the practice of more mind-body-based exercises such as yoga. And many of these types of practices often involve somewhat less aerobic and anaerobic demand relative to at least cycling and running, although not always, of course. And on that basis, you may then expect that more mind-body-based exercises would return less or even minimal sleep benefit. And you would be wrong. <laughs> because when you look at the measure of overall sleep quality, at least, mind-body exercises prove as, if not larger in terms of gifting you nighttime benefits than traditional forms of physical activity. But really, we're just talking about numeric differences here because statistically, when you gather all of the studies together and you cross sort of shop them and cross compare them to other typical types of exercise, they don't significantly differ from each other, but all of them are significantly better to not doing any one of them at all. And I should note, by the way, I mentioned those other sleep metrics, different sleep stages, total amount of sleep, sleep efficiency. And it's worth noting that for mind-body practices, there is less or minimal improvement in those other sleep metrics that I mentioned. But still, I think it's important because it suggests, at least to me, because some of the sleep benefits that we derive from exercise may in fact be driven and come by way of mental health quiescence. It's almost this notion of a, a stilled mind as much as an anaerobically exercised body that promotes superior sleep quality. And by the way, that's very fitting with the words of the English author Charlotte Bronte, who once noted that a ruffled mind makes for a restless pillow. Well, if that's true, and based on the data, and we'll have a whole series on mental health and mental health conditions as it relates to sleep. But what these data suggest so far is that exercise by way of mental health tranquility may help 
unruffle your nightly pillow to some degree. So setting aside the type of exercise, now let's speak about the duration of exercise, which also overlaps to some degree with intensity, and I'll come back to intensity in just a second, but let's focus on duration. What we've discovered is that in some studies, but certainly not all, greater minutes of exercise within a single bout of acute exercise produces larger benefits in several desirable sleep metrics. And these include a larger increase in the amount of deep non-REM sleep that you obtain, especially the deepest of all of those stages, what we call stage four non-REM sleep. It also helps improve the faster entry into sleep. In other words, the longer that you've been exercising, the faster it is that you subsequently fall asleep. And finally, what we found is that the longer people exercise for, the greater the total amount of sleep that they get on average overall. But that said, I do want to mention that there are a number of studies that have found no differences when you pit 30 minutes against 60 minutes of exercise duration, or even if you do a sort of Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper challenge when you put 30 minutes, 60 minutes, and 90 minutes in a head-to-head comparison. So overall, we do find this association with longer durations of exercise result in better sleep improvements. But I just want to note that there are some studies that haven't found that relationship as robustly. The other thing I want to note, however, is that we've also found progressively longer bouts of exercise can be associated with a moderate reduction in the amount of REM sleep. And this effect mirrors the same findings observed earlier regarding just the basic comparison of exercise relative to no exercise. And I mentioned that in episode two, how we see lots and lots of great sleep benefits, but with this potential reduction or somewhat reduction in rapid eye movement sleep. And that in some ways makes some sense when you look at the fact that longer durations of exercise typically inflect greater amounts of deep non-REM sleep, which in that push-pull interplay between the two main types of sleep can somewhat downsize the amount of REM sleep. But that said, overall, the effect on a reduction in REM sleep in terms of duration is not particularly strong to the point at which I don't feel the evidence is concerning enough regarding sort of exercise duration. I don't think it's anywhere near compelling enough to start worrying about somewhat of a modest reduction in REM sleep. Now, some of you, by the way, may be asking, but what about ultra-long exercise durations, uh, sort of ultra-marathons? Alas, we simply just don't have the studies to speak about that. We don't know yet. So that's another unresolved issue. Now, the last item on our menu today that I want to come back to is vigor or exercise intensity. The question being, for good sleep, do you need to work out with such intensity each day (laughs) that you almost lose the will to live? 
or at least to the point where you're exercising and you start hallucinating floridly due to oxygen debt? Do you need to get to that level to get some sleep benefits? Now, an early study from researchers in Sydney recruited a sample of over 50 older adults, and they had them performing exercise and exercise regimen three days a week for two months. But the interesting part came within the exercise group relative to the control group, because within that exercise group, they systematically varied the intensity of that exercise. And then they looked at any changes, any differences in terms of sleep benefit on the basis of that intensity. And there were three subgroups, a high intensity exercise group, a low intensity exercise group, and then a control group. Let me be specific about what intensity is here. The first group of individuals engaged in high intensity exercise defined as 80% of their maximum output. And all of this was carefully monitored and measured by the researchers. The second group performed a more timid exercise regimen. They were performing at 20% of their maximum expenditure. And then the control group, they were not performing any exercise, but they did receive some interaction with the researchers just so that they could try to mimic similar conditions experimentally. So let's start with the high-intensity group. Relative to the placebo control group, the high-intensity exercises got a 26% improvement in the quality of their sleep, which is certainly very nice indeed. Yet for all of that hard work, for all of that huffing and puffing, when you looked at the low-intensity group, they still gained a 15% relative improvement in their sleep quality, which is also highly desirable. The other supporter of this podcast is the electrolyte drink company called Element. Now, it's actually four letters, L-M-N-T. I am a bit of an exercise fanatic and I started buying their products some years ago really because of two key facts. First is the lack of sugar content. Element has no sugar. It also has no colorings, no artificial ingredients, which is unlike many of the other mixes out there that I was shopping. The second is because of the founders who have some serious years of biochemistry experience under their belts and they know what they're doing. So if you want to give it a try, just go to drinklmnt.com forward slash Matt Walker and you will get eight free sample packs on any order that you place. Once again, that is drinklmnt.com t.com forward slash Matt Walker. So 15 relative to 26, that was an early sign of a dose response relationship. But then some years later, a more comprehensive study within this genre of exercise intensity came along and they examined over 400 individuals. And here they were all women, by the way, and those women were largely sedentary and of unhealthy weight. And what's interesting is that those types of individuals, those who are sedentary and of an unhealthy weight, are those who are especially likely to complain about sleep difficulties, including insomnia. And so here in the study, there were actually four experimental subgroups. 
And by the way, the exercise that they were doing was aerobic. It was recumbent bike or a treadmill. And they did this for months in a longitudinal investigation. The first group was set at 50% of the U.S. National Institutes of Health recommended amount of physical activity. The second group went to 100% of that recommended level. And then the third group went up to 150% of that exercise degree. And then the fourth group, that was the placebo control. That was the no exercise group. And rather than focusing on different sleep stages, the researchers focused on reductions in the severity of sleep problems based on what I just described. And here's what they found. For the first and the second group who were doing 50% or 100% of the intensity of the recommended amount, their sleep complaints and their sleep difficulties dropped by 50%, 5-0. And then in the third group who sort of went the extra mile, they were up to 150% of that recommended intensity amount. Their sleep problems dropped by over 65%. And once again, I find this encouraging for those who struggle with weight control or being physically active. I think the theme that's emerging here from this data that I'm describing in this episode is that you don't need to be going to the extremes of physical exertion to get the large majority of those sleep benefits. Oh, which also reminds me, by the way, in terms of those sleep benefits, you may be asking, well, okay, if sleep is so efficacious for exercise, through what route or different routes is exercising promoting better sleep? Well, ultimately, we don't quite know, but I think I can offer you several tenable candidates. First, we know that exercise promotes the release of immune factors, particularly wee little gems called cytokines. And these cytokines have a very powerful sleep-enhancing effect both in terms of boosting the amount of total sleep that you get and the amount of deep non-REM sleep that you get. Second, we also know that moderate regular exercise increases growth hormone release. And we know that growth hormone similarly improves the amount of deep non-REM sleep that you get. The third factor, and I think this is maybe perhaps the one that's most out there, we certainly know that exercise facilitates the release of a brain chemical, a neurochemical called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF for short. And we know that if you increase the amount of BDNF in the brain, you also get an increase in the amount of deep non-REM sleep, particularly a boost in the generation of those big, powerful, slow brain waves of deep non-REM sleep. Now, those are not the only candidates, by the way. There are lots of others, including things like temperature regulation and stress-related chemicals linked to anxiety that otherwise block sleep, and also perhaps a resetting of your 24-hour circadian rhythm to a healthy degree. But I just thought if you are sort of mechanistically nerd-like, some of you may have found some of those musings interesting. Goodness, this episode is long. I hope you've stuck with me. That's enough of my mundane, dulcet British tones for you for one sitting. Let's take stock, by the way, in terms of what we've divined in this episode. 
First, in terms of exercise intensity for good sleep, cardio-based exercise is associated with moderately larger sleep benefits than resistance training. But remember, both of them are always better than no exercise whatsoever. Second, when we consider exercise intensity and frequency, there is evidence of a beneficial dose-response relationship. However, understand that moderate to vigorous exercise gets you a very good distance in terms of the maximal sleep benefit than highly vigorous, high-intensity workouts. So worry less about overly long, grueling durations of exercise and instead ask yourself this more important question. What kind, what duration and what intensity of physical activity do I really like? This is perhaps the best advice I can give you. Enjoying exercise rather than enduring exercise will lead to greater adherence in terms of a constant physical practice. It really has to be a lifestyle rather than a short-term fad. Okay, that's it for now. Next episode, we will discuss the when of exercise. Does it make a difference if you exercise in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? And if you exercise late into the evening, Does that harm your sleep? Does that damage your sleep? That I will reveal in the fourth and final episode in this series. For now, please take care. Thank you so much for sticking with this long, long episode. I'm sorry it's so long. I promise all subsequent episodes will be shorter and I will see you next time. Take care for now. Bye.